There is a new museum on the mall in Washington, D.C. It's the National Museum of African American History and Culture, and it houses thousands of historical objects that help tell the story of black folks in America. In covering the museum's opening, the Washington Post invited people from all over the country to submit photos of their own historical objects, things that tell their own personal and family stories of black history. Each week, this podcast features one object and the history behind it. Hello, everyone. I'm Issa Rae, and this is Historically Black, a collaboration of the Washington Post and American Public Media. My name is James McKissick, and the object that I submitted was a slave deed of sale for my great-great-grandfather. James McKissick lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He heads the Office of Multicultural Affairs for the city. He got the bill of sale from his mother, Marginia Woods McKissick. She's a retired teacher and school administrator. James put a framed photocopy of the document in his living room. Now, James and Marginia both knew they were descended from a slave named Wilson Wood. And they knew some of the stories about Wilson Wood handed down through the family over the generations. But until this year, James and Marginia had never heard of any bill of sale. My cousin had called me. This is a cousin I knew nothing about. I didn't know that we were even existed. She had talked with my cousins that live still out in Meigs County, in Decatur, Tennessee. And they had given her my name to call to get more information on the family. So while we were talking, she says, well, do you know I have Wilson Wood's uh, deed of a sale, slave deed? So she said, I'll send you a copy of it. So she sent me a copy of it. And James was at my house one afternoon. And I showed it to him. And, of course, I went to the copy machine and made a copy of it and gave it to him. And I think he sent it all around the world. (laughs) (laughs) I posted it on social media. And James got a bunch of responses from friends near and far. A lot of people commented that they were sad when they read it, you know, how poignant it was. And those were the exact opposite feelings from what I had. To me, it it did not make me sad. It made me appreciative of this person generations ago who, without him, I would not be here today. For many African-Americans who try to map their family trees, the branches stop short when it comes to slavery times. Families of European origin can often rely on a lot of different documents to trace their lineage. There are birth certificates, land deeds, military service records, immigration papers, and census results. They can use old letters and diaries and portraits to get a sense of their forebears. But historian Jessica Johnson of Johns Hopkins University says that Black families often have to piece together fragments of information from bills of sale or slave inventories. And these can be cold, unhelpful documents. What you have are just the description of of people and of of bodies. Um, Negro girl, Negro woman, Negro man. Um, The other reality is that even names change a lot over the course of of an enslaved person's life. Their name might change two or three times depending on the owner's desire to change the name, you know, and, and that's a difficult reality to face when you're facing the documents. According to family records, Wilson was born around 1815 in Virginia. 
His father was also his owner, a white man named William Wilson Wood. Wilson's mother was a slave named Mary. Slave owners did have carte blanche to engage in sexual intimate interactions with their slaves. You have cases where slave owners are engaging in rape um, and sexual assault and and all kinds of activities. In some cases, uh, you have maybe more long-term partnerships uh, or intimate interactions between slave owners and enslaved women. And those uh, cases, you do have moments, um, have instances where the offspring, the children, are given the name of of slave owners. So Wilson Wood was owned by his own biological father, William Wilson Wood. In 1838, William Wood moved his white wife and their family and their slave Wilson to Tennessee. Nothing is known about what happened to Mary. William Wood bought land and began farming. Wilson was a laborer and a blacksmith on the farm. William Wood died in 1861. The bill of sale for Wilson is dated September of the same year. Two months earlier, Tennessee lawmakers voted to secede from the Union in part to protect the institution of slavery. The bill of sale transfers ownership of a, quote, Negro man-slave named Wilson. No price is given. The new owner? William's brother, Samuel. In other words, Wilson's biological uncle. His name was Wood, too. That's where he got his last name from, his semester. Because he didn't have a last name. He was just Wilson, a male slave Wilson. Um, So to me, that was historic because then you can see where the family name came from, too. It is likely that Wilson got his freedom in 1864. The Civil War was still raging, but Tennessee was under Union control. Abraham Lincoln had issued the Emancipation Proclamation the year before. In October of 64, Tennessee's military governor, Andrew Johnson, declared all slaves in the state free. Three years after being emancipated, Wilson Wood did something remarkable. He bought a 160-acre farm. And I'm sure the reason they sold it to him because it was right on the Tennessee River. And uh, during that time, you would get all that flood. So people didn't like to be around the river then. But now they love being around the river. So uh, it's just amazing. Historian Jessica Johnson says it was unusual for a recently freed slave to buy a farm. That suggests to me that there are all kinds of interesting stories that might be told about the experience of um, Wilson Wood as an enslaved person. The farm was in Miggs County, about 50 miles northeast of Chattanooga. Wilson bought the land for $1,500. That's about $27,000 in today's money. Did Wilson somehow make and save up that money as a slave? Did he get other emancipated slaves to pool their resources? Did the white family that owned him and was related to him help him purchase the farm? Without more documents, we may never know. But the 1870 federal census shows that Wilson, a farmer aged 55, and his wife Sarah had 11 children in the household. And the record shows a bit more. Wilson Wood Farm... Miggs County, Tennessee, 100 acres of improved land, 60 acres of woodland, six horses, two milk cows, five other cattle, 11 sheep, 50 pigs. It was no plantation, but it was prosperous enough. The farm produced 200 bushels of wheat, 800 bushels of Indian corn, 25 bushels of oats. Total value of farm, 
$2,000. Much of Wilson Woods' land is still in the family. In a grassy clearing in a forested part of the farm, you'll find the family cemetery. There are recent headstones with shiny marble faces and ancient markers with the names all worn off. Wilson's great-granddaughter, Marginia, leads the way. That's Wilson's right there. Yes, that's Wilson's tombstone right there. And Sarah's over there on the other side. And these right here are, from here back up this way, are Wilson's grandchildren and great-grandchildren. The family plot is sheltered by red oak, white pine, and cedar. Locusts buzz in the trees. Joining Marginia at the cemetery are her cousins, Booker T. and Chancel Woods. The Wood family name got an S added to the end along the way. Woods. There are dozens of headstones in this two-acre patch. Some headstones tell a sad story. Not all of Marginia's cousins survived childhood. Your father and mother had twins, too. Twins? Yeah. Twice. Twice. Had a set of triplets. Lord, have mercy. That's now, why I was the about second, the, the, are you a twin? No. And you're not a twin. Howard is a twin. Howard. And Harold. Now, some of the Woods family still do a little farming, but most have other kinds of jobs. Chancel says he and Booker T. and the others have added to their properties over time because family members understand the wisdom of investing in land. Chancel says it's a lesson passed down over the generations. Daddy, I think he always said people may come and go, but the land will endure. The land will always be there, so keep it. Keep it in your family. Not long ago, James and his mom, Marginia, drove over to Decatur, Tennessee, about an hour from Chattanooga. They want to see the original bill of sale in person for the first time. It's at the Miggs County Courthouse. It's in an old, leather-bound book filled with land and livestock sales. The entries are in pen and ink. Miggs County Clerk Janie Myers lays the book on her desk in front of James and Marginia. And you can see the handwriting. It's just absolutely beautiful, but it's, it's very hard to read. It's really interesting to see the original. Can I touch it? You certainly can. Can you read it out loud? Um, I think it says, Then was a bill of sale from William Wood to Samuel O. Wood for one Negro man named Will Wilson. Dated the 26th day, Dated 26th of day of October, 1861. Duly proven before me, clerk of the county court of said county, by Joseph Witt, that he was personally acquainted with the said William Wood, and that he saw him sign and heard him acknowledge that he had executed said bill of sale, given under my hand at office indicator. Joseph T. Russell, clerk. I've been here for 22 years, and I didn't realize what was in the books. And to see that, it was a shock. It just makes me wonder what what it was like for him, though. Well, I'm sure they were used to it because they'd been moving around and sold, so it probably became a part of their life. But it's so transient, though, to to not not be able to plan for your future or to make and set goals because you never know where you're going to be next. Well, they understood that they might just be moved any moment. They might just be moved, killed, anything. So they had that in their heart and in their mind. Just like we know today that 
that danger wouldn't come to us, but they knew that they could expect anything out of life. But it also might be why he worked um, and, you know, purchased land. Well, um, then after he was right, free, after he, he was says, free, I'm going to make sure that my children and ancestors will have, have a better life. Yeah. Now, Wilson Wood's story has a relatively happy outcome. But historian Jessica Johnson reminds us it was not so common. Most freed slaves, if they had any money at all, had just enough to buy better work clothes, or maybe a cow or a mule. Many stayed on the plantations of their former owners to work as laborers or sharecroppers. Johnson cautions that a story like Wilson's tempts us to find a kind of false benevolence in the practice of slavery. Wilson was still, until emancipation came, a slave. And that means that somebody else owned him, owned rights to his labor, owned rights to his person, his body, owned rights to, you know, if he's uh, fathering children with another enslaved woman, owns rights to their children. And that is a fundamentally terrifying and terrible experience. That's the chattel principle. Like, that is the principle of bondage. And it's important that we keep that in mind. At the Mix County Courthouse, James and Marginia each lay a hand, palm down, on the bill of sale. It's a small gesture of connection with their ancestor, Wilson Wood. In the same registry book, Clerk Janie Myers found and flagged a number of other bills of sale for slaves. One was for, quote, a Negro girl, Rebecca. One just says, two children. So, in a way... James and Marginia can count themselves fortunate that Wilson's name was written down at all and that the document survived. When I first saw this, I became sad, almost shed some tears, but then I realized that I'm still on the shoulders of those people in the past, and I'm what I am today because of them. Well, I actually have enjoyed seeing the real thing and um, touching it. I'm... Still amazed that he made it through and got land and had families. And it's also amazing to me that a family, especially a black family, can hold on to land for over 150 years. And uh, I'm a little bit saddened because I'm not sure if my generation will continue to value it and hold on to it. But I think that... Wilson would be proud of us if he met us today. James Harwick Woods McKissick, the great-great-grandson of a freed slave named Wilson Wood, and his mother, Marginia Woods McKissick, Wilson's great-granddaughter in Miggs County, Tennessee. That's the story for this week. You've been listening to Historically Black, a podcast collaboration of APM Reports and The Washington Post. It was produced by Stephen Smith and Kate Ellis. It was edited by Julia Barton. We had production help from Larissa Anderson, Kai Thomas, and Ryan Katz. The Post staff includes Julia Carpenter, Veronica Tony, Jessica Stahl, and Tahid Chappelle. Our theme music is by X144. 
If you want to contribute to our online museum of objects from African-American history, go to WashingtonPost.com slash Historically Black. We'll be back next week. I'm Issa Rae.